He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I'll once again be your host. I'm here with the rest of these Munson's. want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. Warren. Just just hanging out. Uh, you know, new year, new me, all that fun stuff. Not, not really anything new. Rigby. Yeah, not much new. Just happy new year, everybody. Um, hopefully, hoping 2021 is better than 2020. I've already watched Kingpin twice in 2021, so <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, we're off to a good start. Case. Well, you know, I've actually got two pretty cool things relevant to this podcast. On uh, Christmas weekend, I decided that I would stand up against the global conspiracy to shut down movie theaters, and I uh, went and watched me a movie in the movie theater. What'd you say? News from the world. Ooh, the Tom Hanks one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I need to check that one out. It's on my list. That's it for me, man. James. I'm just happy to be here, man. I'm and I'm back, so the podcast is entertaining again. So that'll be, <laughs> it is. It that'll is. be great for our download numbers. So, you know, sorry if I took any food out of your guys' mouths while I was gone. Yeah, for our, our listening crew, we were missing Rigby and James last time, but Chip stepped in and uh, provided a good plug when we needed mm-hmm. him. So we're appreciative. On my end... I'm actually joining a different podcast tomorrow night. It's all about the Child's Play movies and the Chucky character. So I've been watching Child's Play movies for the past like two and a half days. A whole and podcast so, on that? Yep. Doing a whole series. Just yeah. one big episode and all the Chucky <laughs> Critique, movies. All critiques eight of them, the guy who's on a podcast that does a whole podcast on like fucking Margot Robbie or whoever a wheel <laughs> decides. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I thought you mean like eight? the series is on that? Like the whole podcast series is on Child's Play or just one no, episode? No, no, it's just like one episode. They, they oh, I did. thought you meant. Sorry, I mis I misunderstood you. I'm sorry. Pretty, yeah. pretty, we're about to spend the next hour talking about Sam Rock. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> hour. Yeah, hour. Yeah, uh, we're lucky. The jacked up review show. They do like they did one all on the Mummy movies. They pick all of these different topics, and I'm joining them to talk about Chucky. So I was awesome. uh, I'm Very crushing cool. all the Chucky content, man. Let me tell you. 32-year-old Kyle versus 12-year-old Kyle views those movies very differently. I will tell you that. Chucky Fenster is more terrifying than Chucky <laughs> Yeah, as we mentioned in the last episode, yep. Uh, but other than that, I'm excited to welcome a new Munson guest, and we've got Marty Grohl with us from the uh, Movie Marathoners podcast. Woo! Yeah. Woo! Welcome aboard, sir. Yeah, Marty. Thank you for having me, guys. Like I said, he's the host of Movie Marathoners, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating roster of guests who join to discuss, rank, and review all types of films and television. He's currently finishing his doctorate in biomedical engineering out in Boston, so he's much smarter than any of us. Jesus. I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> <laughs> we would. Who are you, Alfred Einstein? <laughs> <laughs> Kid can't even read. When he's not studying to be a fake doctor, he's watching movie marathoners and running regular marathons. You can find movie marathoners on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune in and you might hear a few familiar voices because there's been a few Munsons that have been on the podcast. Nice. Welcome, Adi. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. 
This is exciting. Welcome aboard. I've never been on a podcast with this many people, so it's going to be exciting to talk over so many people at the same time. Let me tell you, it lives up to the hype. (laughs) I'm about to say, we built a legend around this. Kyle, I kind of feel like you brought in a ringer. Like, you don't trust the rest of us, because... He's, he's a ringer. He's got way too many credentials to be a guest on our show. I mean, you look at his some of his guests, they're pretty impressive. When James and I join in, we're just like, well, you just needed someone, so that's cool. We'll, <laughs> no, we'll you guys sell. have been great on the podcast. I would highly recommend anybody listening to this podcast to go check out those episodes because they're some of the best ones that we've done. Oh, oh that was sweet of you. Birthdays, January 14th. What do we got, Warren? January 14th, first off, we got Carl Weathers. Chubbs Peterson, Predator, Happy Gilmore, The Rockies, The Mandalorian, and Little Nicky as Chubbs Peterson. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) How old is Carl Weathers? 73. How about 75, Warren? 71. 78. 79. James won 73 on the dot. Let's go. Ooh. Nice. Oh, shit. I told you last week I got two (laughs) out of the three because James was gone. (laughs) True. You did say that. All right, second up, we got Faye Dunaway, Bonnie and Clyde, Chinatown, Network, and Dunstan checks in. Yeah. Even though that's probably her best one out of all of them. Yeah, those are all the famous ones. (laughs) And drunks. She is in drunks, that's true. Faye's old. Yeah, I'm going 80 on the dot, Warren. 75. 82? 79. Uh, I'll go 74. 80 on the dot, Rigby. Yes! You guys Google well. The first guest has been taking it. And last but not least, we got Jason Bateman. Arrested Development, Horrible Bosses, Dodgeball, Paul, Bad Words, Game Night, and The Gift. He's been 36 for like 12 years. (laughs) Don't let Warren get away with throwing The Gift as his shit movie. Don't let him do it. (laughs) I do that for fun. He's He's in much worse movies than that. The gift rocks. You're an The idiot. gift is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. See? See, you brought him on to agree with me. You're the only one who thinks that, Warren. Fine. Hancock. That was that was his, his bad one. There you go. How about 53? 46. Yeah, I'm going lower. 43. 57. Oh, my God. I just said older because he was like a child. I mean, he's been around for so long, I feel like. 45? 52. Mm. Oh, Rigby was close, but he was one over. <sighs> Damn it. I don't know who had the next wow. one. It's because he's looked like a middle-aged white man since he was 10, and so you can't really <laughs> gauge where he is. He's been Michael Blue since 86. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so we had five actors we threw onto the wheel. They were Michelle Yeoh, Robert Pattinson, Heather Locklear. I'll tell you what, the Flocklear came out of nowhere on Instagram this week. That was impressive, man. They were everywhere. I think the bots, I found the bot accounts and they were just flooding us with Locklear. <laughs> Bunch of old white guys. Yeah, everyone knows about the Heather Locklear bots that keep bothering everyone on social media. <laughs> what an odd, <laughs> random thing to have. Some middle-aged man is like, I'm going to lead the Locklear <laughs> bots, all right? This is my life's true calling. Yeah, It's not Locklear. Maybe the, maybe in a different time, there's a different uh, a different wheel. Maybe it'll be locked there, but not this time. Also, not Jason Fleming, even though that might be kind of fun. Uh, but he did land on Sam Rockwell. And I will say, of all of the wheels we've had up to this point, this is probably the biggest fan favorite that we've encountered in terms mm-hmm. of people just pure popularity. So I think we're going to find a lot of folks who want to listen to this episode. So no pressure, Marty. Oh, God. You picked a good one. So just to give a little rundown before we get into trivia, Rockwell's got about 110 credits on his resume, mostly film. 
So similar to Rene Russo and some others that we've covered, they're almost all exclusively film. He's only got three recurring TV characters, and he's got some TV spots and some shorts, but the large majority of his work is in the film world, which is pretty cool. And that's, you know, we love uh, taking a look at actors like that. So let's uh, let's start off with a little trivia. James, what do you got for us? Marty, you're about to hear three facts. Two of them are true. One of them is a fact about an actor from the Fast and the Furious franchise. Yes. You're going to have to guess which one is which. I've been doing this for a year, and there are so many actors in this franchise that I don't know if I'll ever stop. <laughs> so well, They're not going to stop making movies, James. I know. Have more content. Well, all right, cool. Here are some cool facts about Sam Rockwell. One of them is not about him, uh, and these will be ones that Kyle didn't research and put into the show notes. <laughs> all of those you will hear later. So fact number one, he once turned down a role because the director wanted him to stop using the accent that he was using, and he refused. Fact number two, he has a tattoo of a rooster hanging in a noose on his arm to symbolize that he is a hanging cock, if you will. (laughs) Fact number three, he was fired from his role in G.I. Jane because he refused to learn how to scuba dive. I mean, that second one sounds like it could be many, many Fast and Furious actors. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm going two is the lie, and I think that's Jason Statham. I don't have a guess, but I think it's number three is false. I think I think two is false, yeah. Yeah, two's the lie, but that's Rob Cohen who directed the first Fast and the Furious <laughs> and was also featured as the pizza delivery guy. <laughs> I'm missing one more guess from you, Warren. Everybody else has said their stuff. I'm going number one, and that's actually Minka Kelly, who is in the very little-known turbocharged prelude for Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so no one guessed number three. Oh, no, I Kyle did. guessed number three. I did. Oh, and, well, Kyle would be wrong. Oh, well. um, he had a role in G.I. Jane, and he forced the director's hand because after a few days of filming, he got sick from the cold water. And while they were still filming, he's like, I'm just not, I'm not going to do it. And they're like, well, this is what your character does. He's like, no, I'll learn how to scuba dive in the Bahamas, but I don't want to do it at <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning in the Atlantic Ocean. And they're like, cool, well, then you're fired. And he's like, well, that makes sense. And so, so his character was cut out of that movie. Fact number two is, in fact, true. He has a tattoo of a rooster uh, (laughs) in a noose on his arm. According to Rockwell, he got it when he was a teenager so that he could tell girls about its meaning. And now he thinks it's a good representation of him as a young man trying to actually figure out what masculinity is. So he keeps it there because people ask about it. And it's like, yeah, it's a dumb tattoo. I know. But (laughs) it's who I was when I was a teenager. And fact number one is, in fact, not about uh, Sam Rockwell, and it is about Lucas Black, uh, the star of Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, who refuses to lose his southern accent or learn how to act. So he's played someone (laughs) from Alabama in every movie. (laughs) Especially Friday Night Lights. Oh, Texas. Yeah, you're right. Same accent. Yeah. Good one, James. Well, he knows his lane. Good for him. Pun intended. That's why I'm here. Yeah, good work, James. Always trying to stump us. Good joke, Kyle. Thank you. You know, every once in a while. I'm trying to, I'm picking up on your dad jokes. <laughs> a snapshot in box office history case, what do you got? You know, he's got a pretty modest box office. There's not a whole lot of numbers that jump out at you throughout his career. And we'll talk about this tonight. But, you know, he's not in a lot of major box office movies. And he's actually pretty big proponent and a supporter of independent films. So a lot of his box office information, if it's there, 
It doesn't jump off the uh, page at you. The two things of note, he's actually sixth out of all of our performers at the time of recording and IMDb rating. And equally as impressive, he was the recipient of the 2017 IMDb Fan Favorite Award. That's a popularity award. That's, you know, kind of a big deal, I guess. Yeah, that's tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was what the same year as um, three billboards and stuff like that. So I could see why he was top of the everyone's uh, favorite actors mm-hmm. list at that point. Yep. Yep. Thanks, Case. Yeah, man. All right. Before his first feature film, let's talk a little bit about what James did mention and some of the other early life stuff. So uh, he did his first acting when he was 10 years old. Both his parents were actors at one point in time. They do other things now. So he comes from a family that that's in the performing arts. Uh, he did an improv comedy sketch with his mom at 10, where he played Humphrey Bogart. And that's where he got his start in 78. He fell in love with movies because he and his dad used to play hooky and his dad would take him to go see classic movies. And so he's very thankful for his father for uh, making up some lies to get him out of school. That's awesome. Which uh, I wish my dad did that to me. That would have been fun. <laughs> he went to two different schools. So we two different high schools, I, I say. He went to San Francisco School of Arts. And then he went to Urban Pioneers, which was more of a performing. I, I guess they're both performing arts schools. But the second one is really what solidified him wanting to become an actor and not just be something that his parents did. He went to the same high school with Margaret Cho and Aisha Taylor. And they had an improv group. And it was called Batwing Lubricant. <laughs> That's a fun little name, Batwing Lubricant. It sounds like a made-up uh, band name. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it really definitely sounds like one of Chris Pratt's band names. Right. From yeah. <laughs> Ma- Mouse Rat. Yeah, right before yep. Mouse Rat was Batwing Lubricant. <laughs> Batwing Lubricant, fun. But I guess it's it's technical. His first feature film was gonna be Killer Clowns from Outer Space in '88, but he had his scenes deleted. So that one, he didn't make that one. But he did a few brief TV appearances between 88 and 90. And in the middle of those appearances was his first feature film in the movie Clown House in 1989. And Case has this one. This is a shit show. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know who cut his scenes from that movie because I want to write them a letter and explain to them what they put me through because of that decision. (laughs) Killer Clowns from Outer Space is pretty entertaining. It's bad, but it's fun bad. He's like, one clown movie I couldn't get into? Well, I'm going to find another one. Let's go clown house. He just jumped at the first, uh, at the first casting opportunity for clowns. I'll show those guys. <laughs> clown House is a 1989 uh, slasher film directed by Victor Selva. It's Selva's first feature film of his career, and he would go on to be the director of the Jeepers Creepers series. <laughs> Trust me, we'll come back to him later. The basic plot of this movie is that three escapees from a psychiatric hospital kill clowns, take their identities, and stalk three brothers, Casey, Jeffrey, and Randy. And Randy is played by Sam Rockwell. We did get to see some of of the characteristics at an early age that we would end up appreciating later in his career, which was kind of fun to do, being that I'm watching a movie 30 years ago. So it's fun to kind of see where some of those came in and then what areas he's really gotten better at. A couple of interesting things about this movie. Selva impressed Francis Ford Coppola so much with his movie, his short film, Something in the Basement, that Coppola gave him $250,000 to make this film, which is interesting because the budget that I have found in multiple places listed was $200,000. So (laughs) Selva cut himself off a a cool 50 grand just for knowing uh, Coppola. (laughs) He gave him the cameras that George Lucas used to film American Graffiti. And, Marty, this movie... 
premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. So you might see something along the lines. Oh, nice. Wow. Of Clown House that you'll be talking about forever. Oh, fingers crossed. Lucky you. It was a candidate in the grand jury prize in the dramatic category. This movie is really tough to find. I did a search on my Roku for it, and it came up with a channel. And a lot of times you, you click on those channels and then end up, you have to sign in and you got to do all, you got to pay all this stuff. Well, this one, it was called The Chopping Block. Hmm. And I don't know how legal this Roku channel was. <laughs> I think the least of this film's concern is piracy. <laughs> <laughs> this movie had a lot of issues. It broke a couple other federal laws, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think director Victor Salva is coming after me to, to get his $5 for me watching this movie on a, <laughs> on a sketchy Roku channel. After this film was completed, director Victor Salva was convicted of sexually abusing then 12-year-old Nathan Forrest Winters, who played Casey, Jesus. the youngest brother. Oh, and it's not, that's not it, Jesus. James. There's more. And Selva was actually friends of the family as Winters starred in his award-winning short film. He also sexually assaulted the other kid, the other brother, but that kid's family didn't want to press charges, didn't want to pursue it kind of true crime podcast shit are we talking about right now james let's let's be the first to like condemn absolutely pedophilia, yes. pedophilia yep. and you know we don't condone this kind of activity in the year 2021 i can proudly say we are anti-pedophilia well james it's interesting you said that because after this was done right he didn't do another movie until 95 so clearly this whole thing got out and they, everybody knew and he's got over 20 acting credits since being convicted of that crime a real roman polanski over there huh yeah i mean we're finding out how out of control hollywood was in the early 2000s it must have been even more batshit crazy absolutely in the 90s for for him to continue to work yeah i remember looking at the imdb page for this movie and rockwell's the only one with a profile picture which tells me he's the only one paying for his imdb membership yes so none of the other people still act or, you know, have any interest in acting. And it just sucks because, you know, it's not those kids' faults that they got sexually assaulted by this dude. Yep. Everything I read, Francis Ford Coppola told them they'll never work again in the industry, that they're basically getting blackballed because they got sexually assaulted by him. Dude, I've seen these this guy's movies. Like, I've seen all the Jeepers Creepers. I've seen Powder, which was his first movie after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wrote it. I didn't like the movie at all. The movie sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a very good product. This was the only movie you guys that I've had to watch that I was literally going, "This sucks. I can't stand it." Oh, you should see Billy Flynn's long halftime walk. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Someone had to take one for the team this time. Yeah, it wasn't me. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, case. Next time, all you, all you gotta do is do all this like research in advance, and then get on Rotten Tomatoes and create like five thousand. You know, <laughs> audio, like critic reviews with a hundred on it. Get the bots out there. And then, yeah, and then I, would have, then I would have had to watch it. And uh... <laughs> There you go. The simple fact that Sam Rockwell not only has had a long career, but a great career after being associated with that dog shit just goes to show you how good an actor this guy is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. There you go. Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. All right. So we've got a 20-year gap before our next uh, category. And let me tell you, it's a busy 20 years from a man. We're not covering all 110 credits, but it's kind of hard to leave out some of these titles as we go through. So I'll get us rolling here, and then we'll just start knocking out some of his uh, bigger projects, TV and movies. So he joined the William Esper Studio New 
New York for actor training, and that's where he met his acting coach, Terry Knickerbocker, which was big early in his career in 1989. And so you see him in Last Exit to Brooklyn in 89. You see him in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as one of the head thugs in 90. Fucking love that movie. <laughs> Out of everybody in the Foot Clan, he's got the third most lines behind Shredder wow. and Danny Pennington. So he's doing pretty good. Yeah, he's probably got five or six scenes in that movie. Yeah. Certain points. He's one of the few characters with an actual arc in it. Mm-hmm. What does he say to the kid? We're loyal to the Shredder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It blows your mind. If you haven't seen that movie in a long time, go back and be like, oh, shit, that's Rockwell. So then 92, he's in In the Soup, plays a character named Polly. This was the first time he worked with Alex Rockwell. No relation, but he worked with Rockwell a number of times over his career. And Rockwell is one of those early directors that got him more gigs in the industry. And he plays a developmentally disabled character with Steve Buscemi in that movie. Do you think there's some like fake nepotism there? Yeah. Like he wanted him to be related and that's why he kept casting. <laughs> I didn't him? know the Rockwell. <laughs> Maybe. By which way? From the director or from the actor? I don't know. <laughs> like, are you my dad? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just call you, uh, you're my nephew in this movie. 92, he's in Light Sleeper as a character named Jealous. That's a, a movie with Willem Dafoe. He makes a couple appearances on Law and Order, 92 and 93. Um, so he you know, checks that one off the bucket list early on, got into a crime show. <laughs> he's in Somebody to Love as a Polish guy in 94, another Alex Rockwell mm-hmm. film. And then he's in The Search for One-Eyed Jimmy. He plays One-Eyed Jimmy in 94 alongside Buscemi, John Turturro, Samuel L. Jackson. It's an interesting little indie flick. It's worth checking out just for John Turturro's character. He plays a character named Disco Bean who is obsessed with disco and he's dancing in uh, like an abandoned warehouse and you're not supposed to bother him while he's disco dancing. Otherwise he gets immediately angry and aggressive. And his character is so funny. It's worth it just for that. But his career kind of takes a, a leap up in 94 um, when he's in a Miller Lite ice commercial. I know that's not normally what we say in this podcast. Like, hey, he was in a beer commercial and they really skyrocketed him. But he was in that with Angie Harmon. That was her like first commercial too at that point. And the money he made from that allowed him to pursue acting full time and to stop being a busboy and delivering burritos via bicycle. Dude, how great would it be to order a burrito to get delivered to your house? And flipping Sam Rockwell shows up with his tattoo <laughs> handing you your food. <laughs> a man with a rooster on his with arm. With his rooster tat. <laughs> At this point, so you could be like, hey, didn't I see you in Clown House? <laughs> <laughs> you were in that Miller Lite commercial, right? That's why I take pictures of every single one of my food delivery. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, it's it's not just Miller Lite. It's Miller Lite ice. Yes. <laughs> of, of all the like ice variations of those drinks that's the only one that didn't stay around sounds delicious i'll say wasn't there butt ice at some point yeah oh yeah still have it he's drinking one right now i'm three deep i I like to believe warren makes better decisions than that but that brings up an interesting story james i don't know if you remember this we were in new york for gac 2016 i think you were with me but i remember i was walking with jason allen and a bunch of other staff and we were walking to where they were doing fireworks that night and literally, we passed Rockwell walking a dog. What? I didn't know that. You must have been with a different group. I literally passed him. I didn't know who it was originally, but I knew I, I n- remembered him from something. And I turned around and I looked at Jason. And I went, that was fucking Sam Rockwell. And he was just, you know, living his best life in Brooklyn. Just walking, you know, being a normal human. 
That's pretty awesome. sure it wasn't Woody Allen. <laughs> I'm very, very sure it wasn't Woody Allen. 95, uh, Rockwell is in Drunks. He plays a character named Tony. Um, and he's, he's acting alongside some big hitters in that one. Richard Lewis starred in that movie. It was kind of, a, kind of an indie film. But Richard Lewis at this time was massive. Yeah. It's a very simple movie. And it's, it's basically a bunch of alcoholics in, in an AA meeting sitting around talking. So it's all very dialogue and acting driven. Parker Posey was in there, Faye Dunaway, Diane Amanda, West, Amanda, Amanda Palmer, Callista yep. Flockhart, Kevin Corrigan. He was going back and forth with a lot of really good actors, and he's only probably 24, 25 at this time. So it was pretty impressive to see that. Also 95, he's in Glory Days. He makes another crime show appearance in NYPD Blue in 95. And then uh, the role that he, he counts as kind of his breakout role. He plays the kid in Box of Moonlight, 96. You know, he, he dresses like Davy Crockett, lives in a mobile home, and apparently that's one he's very fond of. The New York Times did some coverage of that particular movie and his role, and that kind of just launched him into a, a new category of actor at that point in time in 96. So then 97 comes along. He's got, his, I guess, his first recurring TV character. He, he's in a show called Prince Street as Donnie. He was on that show for three years. And then uh, he was in Lawn Dogs in 97 as a character named Trent, which he did get some Critics Circles Award recognition for this particular role. Our boy Shooter McGavin's in this one. Nice. Plays the father in that one. But that was also Angie Harmon's first film role. Misha Barton, I guess she was probably 12 years old in that movie. Uh, and her and um, Rockwell have some good chemistry. Kind of creepy. Little creepy of a movie, too. But to kind of see Misha early on in her career was kind of cool, too. 98, we see another Alex Rockwell project in Lewis and Frank. Also 98, he's in the callback. I guess that's two characters, Alan and Christopher Walken. And there's a lot of Christopher Walken connections with Sam Rockwell as, as his career goes along, too. 99, he's in A Midsummer Night's Dream as Francis Flute. Um, and that'll be a nod to some of the theater work we'll talk about here in a little bit. The next big Hollywood film he's in is The Green Mile. He plays Wild Bill Wharton in 99. Great performance by Rockwell in this. Obnoxious and ridiculous, but great. The part where he's getting dragged away to the solitary room saying, All I wanted was some cornbread, you motherfucker. I love that part. <laughs> and then when he shoots the moon pie at, at David Morse, that's pretty good too. Yeah, pretty deranged character. Very different than a lot of the other stuff you see him playing over the years. I find it so fascinating that he is very good at playing this like loose cannon southerner mm -hmm. kind of from the sticks. And he is like as urban from San Francisco <laughs> as you could possibly be. And mm -hmm. he just yeah. seems to really do well in those types of roles. Well, then 99, he plays in what's one of my favorite characters from him. He's Guy Fleegman in Galaxy Quest. Is he the glorified extra or is he the plucky comic relief? I don't know. You all tell me. Yeah, I watched this for the first time, like in preparation for this just a couple weeks ago. And it is surprising how much it still holds up and feels very relevant. I thought it was weird that it kind of feels like a giant backhanded compliment to this type of culture and the the Comic-Con thing because it's it makes fun of it, yeah, but then ultimately, you know, it comes down that wow, they're actually they have you know, they have a point basically, right? There's yeah. a reason for their fandom pretty much. Yeah, but at the same time, like, no, there isn't. This is a made-up movie. So I, I don't know. It's it's, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a really funny movie, but at the same time, it does sort of just backhand compliment some of this stuff where it's like, you, you want to believe that this is real, and this in this movie it is, but it's not. Um, but I love his performance in this. Rockwell's character is 
he was on one episode where he died halfway through the episode and he just happens to be there. And so he like forces himself along with them when they go off to space to <laughs> battle these creatures like him the whole time. He's trying to contemplate like, dude, I'm not even like important to this story, blah, blah, blah. And by the end, they're like, nah, have you ever thought about it? you're just the plucky comedic relief? Like you're actually important to our story. <laughs> he's just kind of a, like a bumbling idiot most of the time because you're just like, oh, shit, you're here. You weren't on the show. You're on one episode. Like what's going on? It's a really good example of what I think Sam Rockwell is really good at, which is being a supporting actor. And it's weird because you'd think with a guy that's been working in Hollywood for so long, he would have kind of more stardom. And you mentioned, you know, he's like, what, number six for you guys in your rankings and everything like that. And so he's well known, but I would not call him a movie star, right? Like he's about the same age as Brad Pitt. Mm -hmm. And obviously he's not as attractive as Brad Pitt, but like, he kind of has similar credentials, but there's just something about him where he's like very comfortable being in an ensemble and just yeah. having a personality. And I think that's true in this movie. He actually based his character on Bill Paxton's performance in Aliens. Oh, that's right. Mm. We're gonna die. Oh, man. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's the connection. Thanks, James. Yep. 2000. He's in Charlie's Angels as Eric Knox, the uh, the bad guy in that one, a very eccentric bad guy in what he calls a well-done popcorn movie many years later. I know not a lot of people are huge fans of that movie, but he, he likes it from a popcorn standpoint. I think it gets more hate than it deserves. I think if yeah. people were to go back and watch it, it's not that bad. Yeah, I would agree with that. And considering what happened with the last Charlie's Angels, I think that's why. I think it's because everyone hated the most recent one. Yeah. And then that just like blanket hated all the others this one as opposed to what what was it charlie's angels full throttle or whatever the second one that was absolute garbage the first one is definitely more palatable with crispin glover Mm -hmm. is the weird hair sniffing dude the assassin him as eric knox and his little like dance sequence and everything it was a very like relatable guy and then he just turns out to be this like evil dude and i think the most unrealistic thing well i guess he was just playing on drew barrymore's like affections but if i were him i would have gone after either of the other girls <laughs> lucy Liu would be number one on the list for me but hey oh two he's in 13 moons as rick another alex rockwell feature so that's his third one i believe at this point in his career and then uh, he's in confessions of a dangerous mind he plays chuck barris in 2002 which is a really good role of his i love this movie this is one of my favorite movies of all time i love the story it's told in such a way i, I don't know what's bullshit and what's not right every time i watch that movie i'm, I'm on google <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell is real what the hell isn't <laughs> i just think it's a really fun movie it's a really easy movie to watch yeah this was clooney's directorial debut if i'm not mistaken right oh nice yeah i think this is the first movie he directed yeah i watched this for the first time yesterday in my final preparation one i I thought it was good part when he's being traded for the commie spy and it's revealed that it's the fat bachelor who Uh is the one that the lady picks instead of the cameos from uh (laughs) matt damon and brad pitt (laughs) i was laughing just for a solid 30 seconds. I just thought that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Think about what James just said a little bit ago. You know, he's in the pocket when he's playing this Southern, you know, kind of hick, but yet he couldn't be more urban. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's great at pulling off that double life. Well, also in 02, uh, he's in Welcome to Collingwood. And then 03, he's in Matchstick Men as Frank, another big role in, a, I think, a, a big movie in his career. Yeah. This movie's like Nick Cage 
when he's just full blast Nick caging his way through Hollywood. Mm-hmm. He's as quirky and freakish as you could be. And Rockwell, you could tell, is starting to come into his own. He's playing the kind of sleazy guy that works with the sleazy but eccentric Nick Cage. I think if you look at like the movie poster and stuff and the marketing, I think they almost play up Rockwell's role in this too much. If you watch the movie, you come away with it knowing that Nick Cage basically runs the movie and he runs a show. Mm -hmm. But they have great chemistry. And he was, I think he was perfectly cast for someone like this. Because Nicolas Cage is like this paranoid, neurotic person. Rockwell's kind of the one who like evens him out a little bit, but he's also kind of pushy with him, which is good. So I thought it was a great casting on their part and Rockwell for what they wanted. I think he was great for this role. It's funny to see him in a role where he's the sane one. Yeah. I feel so many of his other films are, he's the insane one. Yeah. Uh Yeah, He's the weird guy who's, you know, off his hinges a little, but you can't out weird Nicolas Cage. It's impossible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did Rockwell and Cage do anything else after this movie? Because they seem like a pretty good pair. Their chemistry is awesome. They definitely did. Did they? What did they? What else yeah. did they do? I'll I'll hold off on it. I've got a whole thing. Nice. Man, this is the first teaser in months in history. <laughs> Trolls World Tour. <laughs> Gaster's queuing it up. We brought in a vet. So this is what you got to expect. Oh four. He's in Piccadilly Jim as Jim Crocker, kind of a, a drunken character. It's another crossover with uh, Allison Janney, who you've worked with a couple times in his career. And then oh five, he's supposed to be in Jarhead. Had his scenes deleted from that one. I don't know if that's good or bad. And then in 05, another one of my favorite characters from him. He's in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as Zaphod Beeblebrox. That's a fun character. It's a fun movie in general. Another one with Alan Rickman. I don't know. It's just a weird eccentric character. It's a good flick. I never actually saw it because I never read the books. And when someone's like, oh, you should read the books. I was like, I'm just not going to watch it. <laughs> I will be honest. The movie the movie is a standalone. It works perfectly fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you read the books, the books work a lot better in the series, but the first one's the best of them anyways. In my, well, the first I, I read the first and half of the second one because I couldn't get through it. So, The same reasons I would recommend Galaxy Quest are the same reasons I would recommend this, in that go for Rockwell's character and go for Alan Rickman's character, because they're both really funny. 05 as well, he's in a short called Robin's Big Date. He plays Batman, who is crashing Robin's blind date, and Robin is played by Justin Long, who he works with a few times. <laughs> Yeah, he's in Galaxy Quest. That's that's a good one to check out. It's available on YouTube. Easy to find. Are you sure that's not from Movie Forty Three? <laughs> it's not. It's good actually. So no, no, it's not from Movie Forty Three. <laughs> but you said Justin Long's playing Robin, right? <laughs> yeah, it's no Sudeikis in this one. Well, doesn't he play Robin in the Movie Forty Three version sure. too? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> 2007, he's in Snow Angels as Glenn. He lists this as one of his favorite movies. And then he's in The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. He plays Charlie Ford in 07. Great movie. Long fucking movie, man. It's two hours and 40 minutes. Holy shit. What? It's awesome, though, man. I feel like the version I saw was 315. I think I might have saw an early like <laughs> director's, the director's cut. <laughs> yeah, director's cut. <laughs> Rigby, this is one of my least favorite roles from him. I don't think he was gr- like a great cast for that character. He doesn't really do much in it. I don't think just because Pitt and Affleck are so the drivers of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a great movie. I really liked it. It's a beautiful movie. Oh, one hundred percent. It's shot incredibly. Is he playing Robert Ford's brother? Yeah. Maybe I just don't like the character. I don't know. It's just he basically goes along with everything that Robert Ford wants to do. He's basically like a lapdog for him, which is kind of a weird role for Rockwell because you would think he would be like the instigator and try to be like the the brains behind the operation, but he's kind of the opposite of that. So that's probably I would say that's probably a reason why you don't yeah. appreciate it as much. And then 08, he's in Choke as Victor. 
and this is another one of his favorites. This movie is fucking weird, man. But it's it's based off the Chuck Palahniuk book, Choke. Oh yeah. But this one was directed by Clark Gregg. Oh yeah. I don't know if this was his this was his directorial debut or not, but he's like a sex addict, and he basically like to get money chokes in restaurants uh, and like settles with them. <laughs> <laughs> His mom is uh, played by Angelica Houston. It's a weird fucking movie that involves like the foreskin of Jesus and stuff like that. If you're watching a black comedy with Rockwell and Angelica Houston, you're probably it's probably going down a pretty dark path, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, it is his directorial debut. Cool. He did trust me five years later, which we'll talk about. See, that's funny because I thought when I heard choke, I, w- I thought it would have been about the 04 Yankees, James. Is that not right? Oh my God. Are you <laughs> kidding me with that? <laughs> oh my God. I'm devastated. Dude, that was brutal. <laughs> Rigby, were you planning that? Or I'll talk to you that... guys later. <laughs> I was going to either make a 94 Knicks joke or a 2004 Yankees, and I went with the, I went with the Yankees. I got to go. Feed the cats. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> the Knicks was just straight up Hakeem Olajuwon. You can't do anything about that. That's <laughs> true. Ebert did say after he saw this movie um, that he felt like Rockwell was a latter day version of Christopher Walken, like the go to guy in Hollywood for weirdness, weird characters. Mm-hmm. By 08, he had solidified himself in the eyes of the biggest critic in the land as a weird character guy. I was going to say, that's like a, a ringing endorsement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no big deal. Siskel and Ebert were, uh, were running the show back then. And then, uh, 08, I guess same same year, 08, he's in Frost Nixon, which we've talked about before on the Rebecca Hall episode. He said his character as James Reston Jr. Um, challenged him a little bit because he's not a political person. And he was forced to think and kind of live in that political world for a little bit. Yeah, his character is like the outspoken, like super anti-Nixon guy that works with them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the most political of any of their characters. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. There's a funny scene where he's hired because the one job he wants to do is take down Nixon in the interview. And there's a scene where Nixon walks in and Sam Rockwell's like, I'm not going to shake his hand. He ruined this country. And then... Uh, Frank Langella walks up to him and he, he immediately shakes his hand. And, uh, <laughs> and Oliver Platt's like, wow, I don't think he's ever going to recover from that. That was withering. <laughs> yeah. How's he going to recover, man? <laughs> Just like shakes his hand and smiles like an idiot in awe of the president in front of him. Right. This role is really good for Rockwell because it shows, first of all, he's like a zany sort of eccentric guy, but he's also intense, which I think kind of sums up Rockwell's roles, mm-hmm. um, most of his roles in his career. So I think he was a good cast for this. Oh, nine. He's in the winning season as Bill, which I think is probably the only like sports related movie on his list. You guys know who his assistant coach is, don't you? No. Margo Martindale. Nice. <laughs> That's right, baby. <laughs> yes. I stumbled across this several years ago and I really enjoyed it. It is like the the complete opposite of Hoosiers, right? So instead of a boys' basketball team, it's a girls' basketball team. And, and they both take place in Indiana. Instead of, a, you know, that uptight, you know, tight, you know, just very... Gene Hackman. Perfectionist, yeah, perfectionist coach. You've got uh, Rockwell, who's a deadbeat dad who's divorced and he's an alcoholic. So it's bad news bears for basketball. Or it, so- it sounds like Affleck in the way, the way back. It's, it's very self-aware and that, you know, they're, they're building up to this, this moment where like the team's going to win the game and then they don't. He's got that comedic 
side that allows him to be kind of endearing. And as much as you hate this asshole, you're still kind of pulling for him because he's it's funny and, and there's some good times in there. And then at the same time, he's just a complete, you know, he's a complete train wreck. And you're like, fuck, this guy is awful. I saw one clip of it where he's talking to the team and he's like, I, I don't want you to think about anything other than basketball. And they're like, but what about school? And they're like, they have to go to school and pay attention. He's all right, all right, you can uh, basketball in school. And they're like, but what about global warming? Like the world's coming to an end. <laughs> and he's like, all right, all right, listen, I don't mean it literally. Like, all right, you can think about basketball, school, global warming, and food. That's it. That's all I need you to think about for the next three months. And then finally, to kind of close out this 20 year gap, he's doing some voice acting work in G Force as Darwin. And I believe Monty's got something queued up for this. Yeah. Imagine my surprise when I'm scrolling through this elaborate Excel doc that you guys have prepared <laughs> and no one has flagged this as a film that we have to discuss. <laughs> Do you guys know what this movie is about? Has anybody seen this? Gerbils. No. I know it's about guinea pigs. It's not about gerbils. It's about guinea pigs. They're both eaten by Peruvians. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pretend that I rewatched this film. But I did rewatch the trailer and a flood of memories came back. Um, I have definitely seen this film. This is, yeah, it's a 2009 film about a team of guinea pigs that's working for the CIA. And that is a callback to Confessions of a Dangerous Mind because Sam Rockwell is again working for the CIA. Yeah. But he's the voice of the lead guinea pig. His name is Darwin or whatever. But the other voices, Nicolas Cage. Yes. So Ugh. there's his, you know, reunion. I'm in. Penelope Cruz. Damn. Terry Crews and John Favreau. So that's a call forward to Iron Man 2. So it's kind of a combination of worlds here. The other thing I want to say is that this has 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. So I think James was done dirty here. I feel like that's the same Rotten Tomato score as Better Living Through Chemistry. And I feel like you would have enjoyed G Force a little bit more. I don't know. <laughs> Just projecting there. <laughs> well, let me see. Uh, hold on. G Force 22. Yeah, that is correct. And better living twenty two. Yeah, they're yeah. on the same button. Wow, you're right. <laughs> I got to pick a fight here. I could have. I could have watched the Guinea Pig show. Yeah, this actually sounds interesting to me. <laughs> For once, I'm sold on a movie. I want to go watch this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the The trailer is like from just the end of that era where there was voiceovers and trailers. So it's just really, really two thousandsy. This movie has hundred and twenty seven critics have rated it. 964,000 users have rated this movie. <laughs> so many people have seen this movie. Almost Damn. a million people have seen that movie. And then logged on to Rotten Tomatoes to rank it. Be like, I yeah. need to let people know how I feel about this movie. So and most of them liked it, right? <laughs> it's uh, no, 39. Uh, it's tw 20, yeah, 22 to 39. Ah. Okay. God damn no it. Way. I can't wait to watch this movie. Yeah, <laughs> this is the first time I'm going to watch a movie based off a discussion. If I didn't have a job, I would have watched it this afternoon. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that I, I don't I didn't think I could use this podcast as an excuse to not do work to watch a G-Force movie. But I almost <laughs> did. It sounds pretty scientific to me, bud. Yeah, I watched it in Nancy Pelosi's office. It was really cool. <laughs> There's definitely some biomedical engineering going on in this movie for them to talk. I mean, the guinea pigs shit, are talking, so. so. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just angry you didn't choose this as your review. I thought about it. Checkmate science. Could have gone all in. Let's transition to uh, his highest critic score. So we've we finished our 20 year gap. We're in 2009. And he is in the movie Moon. 
and Warren has it. I remember when Moon came out. Uh, it was probably a Redbox movie back then. I enjoyed it for sure. It was different since then. I've kind of picked up on like a little bit of drawn a little bit from here, a little bit from there. But then other movies have kind of taken the same premise and kind of gone on with it. He runs this entire movie. Like he's the only person on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the entire movie, mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey his voice um but that takes no acting for him whatsoever because he plays a robot so he doesn't have emotions so he doesn't have emotions anyway so it's not acting everybody else is like anything that you see on camera is just a recording of them so sam rockwell is on the moon he's on the our dark side of the moon but the side that always faces the sun and he works for a company that uh mines helium three so basically converting the sun's unfiltered energy as it gets stuck into the soil they mine it and they send it back to earth and it's clean energy it's set in the future and he's working he's up there for a three-year stint with this company and he basically runs this like mining farm and he starts kind of feeling a little bad and he's got two weeks before he's about to go home uh, he's all of his communications with people back at home is uh, it's just messages because communication systems are kind of fried. But things kind of started getting a little weird. You start seeing some kind of flashes of some stuff. And yeah, I'll go ahead and just say spoilers. I don't, that's fine. The movie's over 10 years old. And if you haven't seen it yet, you probably won't see it, but you'll probably also forget what I'm going to say. <laughs> he is one of like, hundreds and thousands of clones of a guy uh-huh. who are basically alive for three year stints and then they start the clone starts to like decay and they say that's the end of your time and they say that they're going to basically cart put them in carbonite like the Star Wars and but it actually like fry, it burns them and it turns them to ash and then the next clone is awakened and you know he's on the the clones on the table or like a an infirmary and they're like you were in a, in a crash your memory is a little fuzzy but they all have the same similar memories one of the clones kind of gets up at the same time when another one is supposed to be dead and so there's two of them going around at the same time but they're communicating with each other and i think one of my biggest beefs with the movie is people don't really freak out as much yeah they they just don't really freak out as much realizing that they're like there's somebody else that is just like you has your same memories is married to your same wife and your daughter and and all this shit and there's not really like a freak out moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, one guy is like one of one version is basically falling apart, and the other one is healthy and more like mentally stable. But there's just nothing balanced about that. I'm blown away that they filmed this whole thing in 33 days. Wow. Yeah, filmed it in 33 days. Budget of five mil. Uh, made ten. Filmed the whole thing over in the UK. It's a decent state, like a, a set where they filmed it, and they had he had to film with a, a, a double. They had to film everything twice, and everything like syncs up pretty smoothly when he and the double are in the same, and it's cutting back and forth what their the previous body position was, 
he gets it like dead on every single time. So it's got a very seamless flow through the entire movie. So I really, I really do enjoy his acting and like he covers everything except for just like absolutely manic, which I think <laughs> should be a hallmark of that experience. Yeah. You know, a feeling. Uh, yeah. You should, you should feel that. Yeah. There's humor. There's, you know, yeah, he basically plays like Christian Bale from the machinist all the way through to, you know, just a, yeah, I wouldn't say Christian Bale in uh, American Hustle, but you know, he he plays a, a decrepit to like a healthy version of himself. It, it is a good movie. You know, a ninety percent. I don't know if I'd give it a ninety. It, it reminded me a lot of like I know in twenty thirteen there was that Tom Cruise Oblivion movie that came out. Yep, where he thinks he's like this one, but he's really a clone and all this other shit too. Oh, sorry, spoilers on that one. Fuck off. Um, but uh, so in ninety ninety eighty nine, uh, where the critic and audience, hundred thousand audience uh, reviews, I'd probably give it in like the high seventies. Yeah, it just it just needed a little bit more. But when you take into account like the budget and everything, and the amount of time that they spent working on it. They did a really good job with it. And that's it. Anybody else watch it? I saw an interesting documentary on Amazon Prime, and it's like 10 minutes long. And this guy goes in and, and tries to explain that Moon is actually about somebody who's in a coma. And that's what the meaning of that movie is. is it's, it's trying to portray what a person is going through who's in a coma. Interesting. If you've got 10 minutes to spare, look it up on, uh, on Prime. It's pretty interesting. Well done. The director did win a BAFTA for moon for uh outstanding debut by a british writer that that's pretty cool it being his debut that he was able to yeah to pull that off it's david Moe's son it was a uh, pre- premiered at sundance in 2009 as well there you go that movie mute that came out in 2018 with paul rudd mm-hmm. i think it was a netflix movie but it's supposed to be a like unrelated moon sequel it's like in the same world yeah, yeah, yeah. Same universe. It's in the Moon yeah. universe. Yes, yes. The gal, the the Milky, the Milky Way. I saw it a couple of years ago because people had talked it up, and I thought it was really good. And Rockwell, this is probably if you ask most people, they'll put this in his top three, top five performances. That was part of the reason why I ended up choosing this one uh, because of the his highest rated ones. Mm-hmm. I knew it was it was all him. Yeah, um, and we had already covered uh, like his role and stuff and Frost Nixon and. Galaxy Quest was going to be discussed by somebody as well. So, yep, I think it was a good choice. Kind of the uh, anti Rockwell role because normally he's just a supporting guy, but this is he's the only person in the frame. Yeah, yeah, kind of going off of especially what Craig said. This seems like a better Black Mirror episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where the whole thing really could end up being uh, like a coma. He doesn't do many accents, does he? Um, Southern. He does the Southern accent. Well, aside from that, uh, a c- couple weird accents I will say in the next one here, uh, gentlemen Broncos. He does a, a bit of a <laughs> uh, a Nazi uh, one too in 2019. I think that's just called German, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's we haven't forgiven them yet, so it's still Nazi. Sorry. We're very much anti-Nazi. We are an anti-Nazi. Podcast. I don't know if there's a specific Nazi uh, accent. <laughs> Madi. It's, it's a dialect. If we know you're going to be this controversial, we wouldn't have invited you on. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got a brand here. I should have, my yeah. bad guys, I should have told them we're strictly anti Nazi, anti pedophilia, and, yeah. and. You never know, then this day of anti-burn age. Anti Burn Lady. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. We are an anti-Nambla podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You're not really cornering the market on that, right? The world's got to know. But to your point, uh, in terms of like weird accents, I haven't, I watched a couple uh, clips of Gentleman Broncos. I know I sent you guys one before we started the podcast. I don't know if anybody watched it, but uh, it's definitely a unique role for him as Bronco slash Brutus in that particular movie with Jemaine Clement and others. And then he enters into the Marvel Universe in Iron Man 2 as Justin Hammer, who is a pretty good compliment to RDJ in that role. You know, him being actually from the comics and everything, they do a good job of kind of making him just a an evil corporation to go up against, you know, Stark and everything. So mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a good role for him. He's got enough snark in it mm-hmm. to kind of carry it on especially going like pairing up with uh mickey rourke mickey rourke, yeah mickey, mickey rourke and his hilarious accent in this movie he does uh, a good enough job to uh to play hammer and he's still technically alive yeah do you think he'll be back in like the armor wars tv show or yep. Ironheart? Yep. he should be yeah yeah if they're bringing back roth as the abomination they'll bring back him some point i can't time. wait for that he was asked if he would come back and he's like yeah man i'm just waiting for the avengers to give me the call <laughs> like i don't know if when you're a character like his you can write that into almost like any superhero movie because he's the evil corporation foil to tony stark mm-hmm. and spoiler tony stark's not around anymore so what you could put that character in any movie did you guys know that uh rockwell was uh considered for the role of tony stark in the first film by Favreau. I I didn't, but that doesn't surprise me at all. That would have been crazy. I could actually see that. Don't say that, Rigby, because you've never even seen the movie. (laughs) (laughs) I could see it too, but RDJ was just so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect cast. Rockwell could do that. I don't think it would be a downgrade with Rockwell in that role, because he's just as sassy and sarcastic. He could do do that well. I don't think it is either. It's just a... Downey Jr. is so charming, though. It's a name draw. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Rockwell would mostly done independent film and smaller budget films up to that point. Mm-hmm. So I get it. 2010, another one of his favorite roles, ones that people don't really talk about, but he's a Kenny in Conviction, which I've read some really good things about. You know, there was a, an era where there was a lot of prison movies and, and, and people trying to get people out of prison. And I think... It's with Hilary Swank, right? I, yeah, I was going to say, I think I thought it was Hilary Swank and, and she's... His, not hot. His sister. <laughs> Did you say not hot? <laughs> It's an office reference, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I think I think she's trying to get him out of prison or something along those lines. Well, speaking of movies that actually people have heard of, you've got a good old Cowboys and Aliens mm-hmm. in 2011. He plays Doc, whose character learns how to shoot a gun, and that uh, that arc helps the story. There you end, go. I guess. I didn't really uh, like this movie. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't I'm either. Not a huge fan of it. I, didn't I definitely either. saw it in theaters, but I can't for the life of me remember anything about it other than. Daniel Craig is in it. Yeah, that's the exact same thing with me, man. Harry Ford is a disgruntled, angry person most of the movie, and it's just hard to watch. Yeah. 2011, he's in The Sitter. As Carl is a sociopathic coke dealer who loves <laughs> men in large, over-steroided men in underwear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's good enough in the role. He's, <laughs> he's, he's entertaining funny. enough. Him and, J- him and J.B. Smoove go well together. They do. Oh, yeah. He's got to balance like being funny and nice and then just being a straight sociopath and going from like on a switch of a dime going to killer mode. The world's most prolific swearer is in there. Yeah. And Jonah Hill as the lead. And that takes us to 2012 and to our Munson's Choice review. So the way this works, if you're a first time listener, 
we hit the five main categories and our guest gets to pick a different movie to review. And in this case, Mari chose Seven Psychopaths. Yeah, so Seven Psychopaths. It's a film written and directed by Martin McDonough, who he's going to go on to collaborate with Sam Rockwell again for Three Billboards, which will get him his Oscar. And I'm sure we'll talk plenty about that. And I had heard of this film, but I hadn't really heard that much about it. So I didn't really know what I was going to get. Uh, or what I was expecting to get. But, you know, I watched this specifically for the podcast and I really loved this film. So I really wanted to talk about it. The basic premise is that it stars Colin Farrell as a Hollywood screenwriter named Martin. So I'll let you figure out that reference on your oh, own there. Oh, I see where you're And going. there you go. <laughs> and <laughs> and Martin, Martin Short, he's struggling. Right? <laughs> Scorsese? Oh, okay. Oh, about that. Yeah, it's all a deconstruction of Lawrence. all of Scorsese's work. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah. So Martin he's struggling to write his next screenplay, and the screenplay is called Seven Psychopaths. So to get inspiration, he hangs out with his friend Billy, played by Sam Rockwell, and Billy makes a living by kidnapping dogs and then returning them to their owners and collecting the reward money. <laughs> and so the main plot of the movie kicks off when Billy kidnaps the dog of a notorious LA gangster. He is played by Woody Harrelson. And so obviously Martin gets caught up in all of this. And then the film basically turns into what is essentially a meta commentary on a typical crime film. The dialogue and the writing in the film, it's really sharp and witty. Characters do that thing that, you know, they fire off lightning quick once at each other. Um, they have a lot of meta conversations about how movies are structured and how they're written. And the film is just really self-aware and it's really aware of what type of story it's trying to tell. And it kind of goes out of its way at different points in the story to either intentionally commit to the tropes or to intentionally subvert them. And I'm a huge sucker for that. It's so like anything that's meta in that way. I just love there's this scene where Sam Rockwell's character is helping write the film. So he's pitching a shootout for the end of Martin's movie. And he narrates this whole insane final shootout in the cemetery. It's filled with like every cliche in the book. And then of course, later in the film that's referenced again, when there is a final shootout that like the Rockwell character is consistently saying there always has to be a final shoot shootout. So mm -hmm. it's one of those films. that's really, really fun. I don't think, it's quite as narratively tight as something like in Bruges. And I don't think that it's quite as profound as some of the stuff that three billboards is talking about, mm -hmm. but it has this really manic energy that makes it a lot of fun. And I also think that it says a lot about violence and then this particular American obsession with violence and how that manifests in movies. So it's really fun. And I mean, tying it back to obviously the topic of what we're talking about here, it's pretty crazy that this film has Colin Farrell, Woody Harrelson, Christopher Walken, callback to callback. And they're all giving fantastic performances. And Sam Rockwell is still a standout. He's like, he plays one of the titular psychopaths. And he's basically just one of these aloof psychopaths. So he has complete unpredictability, where he's kind of just being this normal person at one second. And then the next second, he decides that he has to kill two people to motivate his friend to write the ending of his screenplay. <laughs> so he does a ton of really horrible things in this movie, but in the context of the film, they're fun. And it's one of those like hyper-realistic things. So you don't really have to think about how fucked up it is. And you just really can't help but like him in the film. So, I mean, he's fantastic in this film and I'd really recommend it if you haven't seen it. I love when he's hyping up the fight the final gunfight and the whole time Colin Farrell's with him. He's like, Oh my God, we're set up. This is like a great place for a final gunfight. You know, this is where we're going to die. This is terrible. 
and then they cut to the cemetery scene and it's just the way christopher walken comes out of the grave is the funniest (laughs) shit because it is so like the movie just goes full into like the cartoonish side of this and he (laughs) without actually standing up he just like shoots up like a vampire with his arms crossed and gets into the gunfight and it's so funny that whole scene is so funny and then they have a lot of other like dialogue moments that i think are really funny there's this scene where christopher walken is talking to him and he says something like you know he's a pacifist in the film and rockwell's obviously in love with violence because he's a psychopath and walken says that gandhi once said that an eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind and then rockwell pauses for a couple seconds and then he goes no, it doesn't. There's going to be one eye left. Like, how does the <laughs> second guy who's lost both of his eyes take the other guy's last eye? He could just hide in the bushes. Gandhi was wrong, man. And it's just <laughs> so funny the way that he delivers it. What caught me off guard was in rewatching it, I forget how recent it was where it was okay to just let gay slurs fly yeah. oh, as yeah. punchlines <laughs> like oh my yeah they, they do throw out the epithets quite a bit in that movie that's the one thing i didn't like i was like fuck man. I, I forgot yeah. that that's egregious like, this is 2000 like it's not that long ago where that was like that could be the punchline of a joke and i was like oh wow it's, it's like startling to see at this point mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of a recurring thing in a lot of Sam Rockwell stuff. Like, he always picks roles where it's a little bit, you know, one or two yep. of them is okay. And he's gotten a few of them where it's like, I, I, I know this I mean, is acting. In three billboards, but he's the biggest yeah. piece of shit on earth, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, McDonough is also really notorious for that. Like, just mm-hmm. saying things that you probably shouldn't say. And it's just like, you know, it, it's a little unfortunate because it, it means that you have to acknowledge that before recommending the film which is frustrating well thanks buddy appreciate that so we got a couple years before we run into lowest critic score before we hit the bottom and first off 2013 he's in the way way back it's a character named owen and that's a fun little movie and a fun role i fucking love this movie and it's a tie-in with alice and janney oh my girl oh that's right it's a hilarious movie he is like the I know the little boy is the main character, but he didn't really say anything. So Owen really is like the main character of the movie. Tony Collette's in it, Steve Carell, uh, Jim Rash, um, Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph. Rudolph, yeah, Rob Corddry. So it's it's a very good, like, it's a feel-good movie for sure. And it's also another one of those roles that makes you realize that, like, if Steve Carell wants to, he can play the biggest piece of shit in the world. <laughs> Yep. True. Not like an unintentional piece of shit like like Michael Scott <laughs> when he doesn't know all the things he's saying. <laughs> Rockwell's hilarious in that role. Very sarcastic. And he's just like a good mentor. Like, yeah, it's kind of a train wreck of a human at times, but he's a good mentor for that kid in that movie. So that's yeah. kind of fun. One of my favorites, personally. Yep. Also, 2013, he's in a single shot, an indie flick as John Moon. Notice he's in like 13 Moons, Moon, character named John Moon. He, he must love, just love space. He also shows his ass in a lot of his films. Have you noticed it's, that? Yeah, about four, four times a moon. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> like 18 times in Confessions of a Shopaholic or whatever. Right when, right when you turn it on. Put it in the rider, lady. baby. Put it in the rider. He, he uh, does that and he dances uh, in, most, in most movies. Yeah, we haven't mentioned that yet. I guess we did lightly earlier, but my, my dude is known for 
his dance moves 100%. But in this movie, he's pretty good. I mean, it's a, it's a smaller movie. It's a shorter movie. Uh, Jeffrey Wright plays a really good drunk character in it, but he is the lead in this one and I think does a pretty good job overall. This is the second movie that he produced, the first one being The Winning Season. There we go. He's got a run of pretty good movies that he's he's produced here early. And then also 2013, another crossover with Alice and Janie. He's in Trust Me as a character named Aldo. That's also with Clark Gregg, who we mentioned earlier. And then 2014, another small indie film called Laggies. He plays Craig in that one, alongside Kara Knightley and Chloe Grace Moretz. And he's pretty awesome in that role, too. He plays like the lovable dad character who falls for Kara Knightley's non-period piece character. And I remember that one being pretty impressed by it. And that takes us to Better Living Through Chemistry, his lowest critic score, 2014. And James, I'm sure, is enthused to talk about it. <laughs> if he wasn't going to win his Academy Award for three billboards, it was going to be for this role. <laughs> or G-Force. Honestly, this movie, <laughs> this movie wasn't that bad. It's bad, but it's not bad fun where it could be like G-Force, which I, now that you mentioned, I wish I've seen that movie because guinea pig CIA agents sounds entertaining even if it's terrible when i read this out loud you're gonna be like oh okay that could be something it doesn't end up being something it's just it's okay it's uh so this movie better living through chemistry sam rockwell is the main character he plays a small town pharmacist who's been essentially like emasculated and demeaned by his go-getter wife uh because i guess for some reason being a pharmacist is not looked at as a good job even though it's a great job i don't know (laughs) He ends up having an affair, going through his kind of midlife crisis with a local druggy trophy wife played by Olivia Wilde, who kind of leads him down a path of crime and drug abuse. Rockwell is actually pretty good. I think he was good in this movie. I think he carried his own. It's, the problem is the movie's just okay, and it's in this purgatory of a movie that isn't so good or so bad that it's memorable. It's like a shiny, aesthetically pleasing movie that is fairly watchable, like at its best, but it feels like a movie that wants to be dark, but doesn't really have like the balls to actually be dark and instead only lightly touches on like the drug epidemic in the suburbs and abusive relationships and midlife crisis affairs. And it's not really worth roasting or praising or spending any more time on. So (laughs) I'm just going to move along to a good Sam Rockwell movie and hope that we can, uh, you know, all move past this, good-looking, terribly average movie. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. It's a decent crew with Ben Schwartz and Michelle Monaghan and mm-hmm. others. So he works with Schwartz later in Blue Iguana, which Rigby will talk about shortly. So I guess there's that connection. I have a little bit of trivia on this that I just discovered. Oh, <laughs> we love it. He's in a movie, finally, with another Rockwell that he is related to. Pete Rockwell is in this movie. His dad? As the old man cyclist. Oh, his dad's in it. Oh, yeah. Pete Rockwell, yeah. Pete Rockwell's his dad, <laughs> and I just realized this. Right. His dad was also in Frost Nixon as a Smith House reporter. Reviving his dad's career, yeah. one indie movie at a time. Good for him. I love it. <laughs> Before Largest Critic Gap, we just got one movie in 2014, and that's Loitering with Intent. He plays a character named Wayne, and that's a crossover with uh, Natasha Leon. Mm-hmm. And then we hit Largest Critic Gap, which is Digging for Fire, and that is my review this week. It's got a good cast. I'll start with that. It's You're talking Jake Johnson wrote it. Uh, he didn't direct it, but he wrote it. And it's loosely based on a story from his own life and stuff that happened to him. But you've got Rosemary DeWitt. You've got Orlando Bloom. You've got 
Brie Larson, Timothy Simons, Jenny Slate, Mike Berbiglia. You've got Damn. Rockwell, Chris Messina, Anna Kendrick, Sam Elliott, Melanie Jesus. Lindsay, Ron Livingston. So a really cool cast across the board. So it's a fun group of humans in this movie. The synopsis is Jake Johnson's character finds a bone and a gun in the backyard. He's digging around in the yard and he finds these two items. And apparently in real life, this is what he found in his backyard. Oh. The backstory is he and his wife, played by Rosemary DeWitt, are basically house-sitting in Southern California at this really nice house with a huge you know, space, got their own tennis court and all this stuff, their own pool. So it's not their house, but Jake Johnson's character becomes obsessed with the idea of, I just found a bone and a gun. I'm really curious as to what the hell else is out there, and I want to dig it up. The movie is centered around... It's kind of try, it's trying double duty here. It's trying to focus on this mystery around the bone and the gun, but it's also focusing more so on his marriage and how they're kind of struggling and how this particular incident is driving them apart to kind of figure out where they're at in life. I think that's why it's in the critic gap area and why audiences didn't like it too much because there's just a lot going on and trying to manage those two things. It would have been better if they just focused on the mystery of the, the gun and the bone and people digging stuff up. Like, I think that would have been with this cast and the comedic sides, I think it would have been a home run, but they're trying to do the relationship stuff. And I think that's where it struggles, but it's Joe Swanberg is the director and he's known for indie comedies that are heavily improvised. So almost everything in here is improvised. I, I, I forget which movie I covered a few movies back or a few episodes back. It was very similar to that in terms of Rockwell. He plays a character named Ray. He rolls up in this leather jacket in like four layers of shirts. He's got like an undershirt, a flannel, a, a button down and a leather jacket. It's pretty ridiculous in a beanie. And he's just kind of like a bad influence on Jake Johnson. He's this old friend who shows up and then invites a bunch of other people who have cocaine and borderline hookers and basically just encourages them to do all these terrible things. The rest of the movie that he's involved in, he lingers way too long. He's like that friend who you really want to kick out, but just never gets the hint and you have to yell at them, that's that's Rockwell's character. Okay, guys, I fucking get it. I'll get <laughs> off this call. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> it's weird, like the whole leather jackets, the motif, every time a character in the movie is doing something bad, I put that in air quotes, they're wearing a leather jacket, and I was just like, I get it, but I understand why critics would like it because the cast is so jacked, but the movie itself is kind of forgetful. That's digging for fire. I don't have anything profound to say about it. We'll move on to, uh, I guess, probably another not-so-great movie, and that's uh, 2015's Don Verdeen. Yeah. He plays Don. Movie sucks. How did this movie suck? And it did, but how did it suck? <laughs> it's just not funny. I remember my buddy, James uh, Mabry. He <laughs> loved Sam Rockwell, but this movie came out, and he was like, oh, man, I'm so fucking excited for this. And he watched it, and he was like, don't watch this movie. It's terrible. <laughs> And that's that's like a big thing coming from him because he's yeah. usually he's usually just like oh you just couldn't be more wrong about your opinion of whatever <laughs> and so I went in being like yeah maybe it's wrong about this one man it sucks it is only ninety minutes though Warren that's good <laughs> yeah the, it was about thirty eight minutes too long <laughs> twenty fifteen he's in the uh, remake of Poltergeist it's Eric he does a drunk history. Um, episode in 2015 as well and then he's uh, Francis and Mr. Wright which we've talked about multiple times mm -hmm. most recently on the Tim Roth episode which we enjoyed I think we talked about it's not a great movie but Rockwell's awesome in it and he and Kendrick have good chemistry in that particular film yeah mm -hmm. and then uh, he starts his character as Vic in F is for Family 
in 2015, and that's ran for five years, and that character is hilarious. Yeah, Vic is funny. What a fucking great show, man. He's just so great. He's fucking pothead, just doesn't care. I'm going to bang my hot wife. Yeah, he's the antithesis to Bill Burr's character where mm-hmm. Bill Burr's like always stressed out and, you know, he's overweight and he's balding and he hates his job and he doesn't make a lot of money. And then he looks at his neighbor next door, Rockwell, who's this like jacked, handsome man who is rich, but no one knows how. And he's always got hot chicks over at his house and he never works. And he's just like, what's up, man? How are you? He's like, I hate this guy. Yeah. It's basically like <laughs> Matt McConaughey as Wooderson is yep. a yep. like as a character, yeah. and yeah, like you said, James, going like being a neighbor with Bill Burr is just it's perfect. Yeah, it's a it's a great balance. Those yep. two. I'll put you through a fucking wall. <laughs> and then 2017 comes around, and we see his uh, performance as Dixon in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which earned him his sole Oscar. And the one thing I'll note here, he is one of 13 actors ever who have won the Oscar, the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, the SAG, and Critics' Choice Award for for supporting actor. Wow. Wow. Clean sweep. Clean sweep that year. This movie obviously had its critics. You know, his performance especially was pretty controversial, pretty divisive. For what they're looking for, a racist cop who's a drunk and lives with his mom. I mean, I can't think of a better person to play that than Sam Rockwell. Mm -hmm. I thought his performance was amazing. He's hateable and the movie, and he should be hateable because he's a (laughs) bigot, alcoholic idiot. And I think people were more upset with the story of the movie where someone could be a bigot, alcoholic idiot and still have some redeeming qualities. Right. (laughs) that's what people were upset about. And I totally understand it because especially now with, you know, everything going on in regards to police brutality, like this character. And I mean, that, that tracking shot they do where he beats up the kid across the street. Oh, it's great. It's great. It's, and it's brutal to watch. It's amazing, Mm -hmm. but it's brutal. You're like, wow, this guy is, there's no one keeping him in check. And like everything Rockwell does from like the strut to the, the, the he spits on the kid like he just owns the role where you're like fuck that guy like he's the worst (laughs) he seems like a really likable guy for him to go this far out of his his zone to play this like i know he's always kind of done a southern-ish person but to be a big like a big old piece of shit and i had i had no idea that harrelson was up for best supporting as well in the movie the scene where he's dancing to the music with his headphones on and she, she's throwing Molotov cocktails in the pop station is amazing. So funny. My wife was dying laughing. I was like, this is not supposed to be that funny of a movie. It's really not, but the way <laughs> like, but like, yeah. this is a funny scene. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what makes the movie so amazing is that like, you know, McDonough loves doing that thing where he does something and you laugh out loud. And then half a second later, you feel really bad about laughing. (laughs) And I think Rockwell's character is like the pinnacle of that. Like he does all this stuff that's sometimes it's kind of funny. And then you go, wait, it's actually really problematic because people like this actually exist. But man, the film and the performance is amazing. I agree completely. Also 2017, uh, Rockwell's in Woman Walks Ahead as Silas. Pretty good in that alongside Jessica Chastain. And then he, uh, he hosted SNL for the first time in 2018. And there's a ton of Clips available where you can see all those uh, all those different sketches he did. He got in a little bit of trouble because he dropped an f bomb on one of the one of the skits. 
and uh, they didn't catch it. And then finally, uh, we've got Blaze. He plays an oil man, small role mm-hmm. in an indie film. I rewatched this, and I, I really enjoyed the film. I think I enjoyed it more than the first time I watched it a couple of years back. This was a big passion project for Ethan Hawke. He wrote and directed it, and him and his wife produced it. It's the story of this of one of the founders of the Texas Outlaw Country movement, Blaze Foley, and uh, it's a really tragic story. So it's certainly not a it's not an uplifting story. Rockwell doesn't have a big part, but he's got an interesting part because he's one of three oilmen that are producing Blaze Foley's final album, and the other two oilmen are played by Steve Zahn and Richard Linklater. Makes sense with Ethan Ethan Hawke and Richard Linklater. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, he's yeah, probably he... getting him back after taking away twelve years of his life. <laughs> yeah, eat, eat. <laughs> you owe me. <laughs> yeah, Ethan plays like the the radio DJ that's interviewing him, but you really never get to see his face. You just see the back of him, yep. and you just hear him. So it's definitely a behind the scenes role for Ethan. Yeah, it's well but made. Ben Dickey is awesome in that movie. Yeah, if you like music and interesting stories you've never heard of, check this movie out. It's really good. And that takes us to our final category, and that's largest audience gap. And Rigby is going to talk about Blue Iguana 2018. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Blue Iguana is a, I would classify it as a dark comedy from 2018. Sam Rockwell plays a character named Eddie, and Ben Schwartz plays uh, his friend named Paul. They're both new parolees who are working at a diner in New York, and they're um, introduced to this British lawyer named Catherine who basically offers them a job that they can't turn down. They're parolees, so they're looking for quick cash. And her job is to for them to steal a valuable package in London. It turns out that Catherine is in debt to a British gangster, and that's why she asked them to do it. The title of the movie comes up because they eventually learn while they're in London that British gangsters are learning to steal are planning to steal a diamond called the Blue Iguana and they want in on the action. If it sounds stupid, it's because it is. I did not like this movie. <laughs> I did not like this movie at all. Part of the reason I didn't like it is because, you know, most of the reviews I read said it was an homage to 80s movies, but I kind of thought it was an homage to like almost to like Tarantino or yeah. like Guy, Guy Ritchie movies. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, I agree. Obviously, it has like a lot of like Cockney British actors. So that sort of made me think of the Guy Ritchie stuff. But then there's a lot of like slow motion, violent blood gushing scenes that reminded me of a kill bill or a tarantino type movie it tries to be funny in sort of all the wrong ways there's a lot of like fart gags we mentioned if sam rockwell ever tried to do accents there's a sort of a running gag in the movie where he tries to do a cockney accent and (laughs) i just didn't find it funny at all i don't know i was really turned off by the movie and kind of disappointed that he followed this up at right after three billboards you had me at fart jokes (laughs) (laughs) i regrettably watched it as well and it was i think it was just like hey ben you're my buddy i'll do this movie with you and it just ended up being dog shit i love rockwell and i love ben schwartz i think they're they're both similar in that they're just neurotic and i don't know they play somewhat similar characters and obviously ben schwartz is a little more a little more comedic i think than sam rockwell but yeah i just wasn't into it at all I really wasn't. I don't know if it was like because I watched it on Crackle and there was ads or something, but I just wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't feeling it when I watched it at all. No, I don't um, think the ads had anything to do with the Rigby. <laughs> no, it's, it like, didn't. it's a subpar movie, my friend. And we can leave it at that. Here's the good thing, Rigby. We'll bounce back from Blue Iguana to talk about four pretty good performances back to back mm-hmm. to back to back. 2018, he's in Vice as George W. 
Bush. Love it. Love his performance in this. Got an Oscar nom for Best Supporting Actor in that one. He was barely in it, for sure. And it's just a shame that uh, Bale didn't win for... Uh, for Chaney. His Chaney. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. he was epic in Ch- as Chaney. This movie came out at the wrong time because it portrayed Chaney as like a power-hungry dictator. And it's not a really good movie when the guy in the White House is currently a power-hungry dictator. So, <laughs> like, Imagine if Chaney succeeded is what they're trying to say. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. The opening credits of that is the best part where it's like Dick Cheney's one of the most secretive people in like ever, but we did our fucking best mm-hmm. trying to put this together yeah. for him. All right, mm-hmm. cool. Was that, I appreciate that. Was that Adam? Was it McKay? Did McKay make that? Yeah. yeah. McKay yes. movie. Yeah. Yep. I'll say one thing about Rockwell's performance in this is that when he asked Cheney to be his vice president, he's like, he's like knee deep in like a bowl of chicken wings like i that's how i would expect george w bush to ask dick cheney to be his vice president is basically just like while he's eating buffalo wings to do it on the side you know but oh by the way i want you to be my vice president yeah dude that's what made it funny at that point you know we had seen how many george bush impressions where right it it became like annoying to see another george bush impression and the one he went with was like a dude bro and that's what it's funny. It was like he's just like drinking a beer, eating chicken, and Cheney's like plotting to take over the world. He's like, "What? Yeah, whatever, man." And just like yeah. goes on living his life. He's like, "I thought about this, and I, I want you to do it. I want you to be my vice." Like I thought, I thought his deliverance was great for for Bush. No, this movie needed James Adomian as George W. Bush from Harold and Kumar <laughs> Escape from Guantanamo Bay. Yes. <laughs> I love that scene in Harold and Kumar. Oh, me I too. thought it was me perfectly too. done. Make you a fucking terrorizer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so back to back, we got Jojo Rabbit. He plays Captain Klenzendorf in 2019. He's got that accent, but we don't need to touch on that one. Bro, talk <laughs> about a hot streak. This is the role that made me... Uh kind of question whether rockwell's going through some stuff or something because like you're really gonna do another problematic redemption arc like right after <laughs> three billboards really man i absolutely love jojo rabbit it was mm-hmm. my one of my favorite movies that year yeah mm-hmm. and i love his character in that movie the portrayal of again a drunk racist bigot but he's got like this he knows he's a loser and the audience knows he's a loser, but the people around him prop him up. And that's what I thought was so funny where it's like they're mocking Nazis, but the Nazis still think they're great. But like at no point does the audience interpret them as great. And he's just this like dumb shit throwing grenades over his shoulder with like 10 year olds running around him. Like it's no big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The part when he comes up after designing his own uniform and he's just in the the final amazing scene yeah (laughs) that whole scene is so funny when rebel wilson like gives the little kid a grenade and says go give the guy a hug or whatever it's (laughs) so dark (laughs) so funny taika he's the best yeah jojo rabbit is an amazing movie yeah it's fantastic and then uh going to the tv side 2019 uh he's in fossey verdon as bob and he got some emmy and sag love for that particular role and then to kind of round us out, he's in Richard Jewell as Watson Bryant. He plays uh, Richard Jewell's lawyer in that, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's good. He's good, but I didn't. I thought that movie sucked, if I'm being honest. Well, it, it's got the Clint Eastwood, everyone's wrong but me right. touch right. on it, which is <laughs> yeah. tough in his old age to watch sometimes. It's, it's really like 
well-made but incredibly forgettable i found like yeah. i i enjoyed watching it for sure but i watched it a couple months ago and can't remember anything about it yeah and i love kathy bates and paul walter hauser too and so, i just yeah. i don't know i just i wasn't into it i feel like eastwood's just lost his touch we can cut yeah, that he, but that's he, my thoughts on no it. leave it leave it in no, there the old we've shit has on lost him before yeah we he have. needs <laughs> to come on here and defend himself bring it Clint. <laughs> no he'll bring he'll bring guns pwh does a really good job of portraying him like he i, I pulled up a picture of jewel just to look at him mm-hmm. like holy shit i love paul it's, Walter it's spot on, man. kathy bates got nominated and i thought her performance was so like melodramatic <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 a classic like right southern woman just like few yeah, she was basically performers. Bobby Boucher's mom. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Bates, the best character in Titanic, and I will stand by that. <laughs> All right, and then finally, two voice roles for uh, for Rockwell. He's in Trolls World Tour in 2020 as Hickory, Southern gentleman, in that one, and uh, he's in the one and only Ivan. He plays Ivan, which is a crossover with Brian Cranston. Well, that'll wrap up his TV and film work. Uh, before we get to top performances, want to mention uh, some of his theater work because we really didn't talk about it, but he's done a ton over his career. So uh, he became a member of the New York-based Labyrinth Theater Company in 92. And since then, he's been in a number of plays. So he's been in Goose Pimples, 98, The Hot L, Baltimore, 2000, Zoo Story, 01, Dumb Waiter, 01. He was in The Last Day of Judas Iscariot with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He directed that in 05. So we talked a little bit about in some of his interviews of working with uh, Philip and, uh, you know, from Warren's favorite movie, The Master. Mm-hmm. Um, North Cinematic of Mason, masterpiece. Exactly. North of Mason Dixon, 07, A Behanding in Spokane, 2010, Fool for Love, 2015, and like six others that I just d- couldn't even dig up, but they're there. He mentioned um, that he loves movies would much rather act in movies compared to the other mediums that you can. But besides movies, the theater is the, his second favorite. So he dislikes TV work. Mm. And the reason being is... And he hates posing for paintings. <laughs> the, the, the reason being is that with TVs, <laughs> you're, on a, you're on a strict schedule. And uh, he's like, I don't, I don't want to have a job. He's like, that's not why I didn't get into acting to get a job. He's like with theater, I at least get the rush of a job with TV. There's no one there cheering me or gasping. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why he's done a lot more theater work. Yeah. He's good at it. He means he had a good career on that side. He's been on Broadway and all that. So good for him. Rigby hopefully dug up a good list of top performances. We had the BFI last time, which was pretty good. Yeah. So let's see what you got. Yeah, I wish we could have one like that, but we're gonna go to our old, our old bread and butter. Comingsoon.net. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Seven best Sam Rockwell roles. This list is from 2017, so right after the release of Three Billboards. So there's not going to be any JoJo Rabbit in here or any or Vice. Actually, oh sorry, fuck, I just messed that up. Um, this is from 2018, so it's right after the release <laughs> of Vice. So you already know, <laughs> so you know one movie in that. So give us um, one, huh? Yep. So, who wants to start us out? Three billboards. Yep. Obviously, and this is not in numerical order, by the way. This is hard to only pick seven. Yeah, that's G4. what I was just going to say. As a as a movie career as intense as Sam Rockwell, it's hard to condense seven. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yep. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. That is not on here. Fuck. Moon. Moon is on here. Has to be on there. Seven Psychopaths. Yep. So we need three more. Uh... I gave one away at the start. I think. Galaxy Quest? No, Galaxy Quest is not on here. Vice is on there, right? Yes. So we need, oh. we need 
uh, two more. Green Mile? Nope. Well, uh, the list is wrong. <laughs> how about, match how about Lawn Dogs? Oh, choke. Matt, match. No, Matt Sigmund is not on here. Neither is Choke. Wow. The way, way here's back. My, here's my hint. Um, you guys give me shit for not seeing, for not Iron probably... Man 2. Oh, Iron yes. Man 2. Yes. <laughs> what? Uh, that's weird. That's uh, soft. The other movies we've named are better roles. Yeah. <laughs> is there one more? Well, then the other one's got to be G-Force. No. There's one more? Uh, it's wh- it's a little decade? too long, according to Warren. Assassination. Yes, the assassination of Jesse James. All right, so we're going to get into the Munson meter, the way this works. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, each one of us will rate the actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors that could include their longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, their range, awards footprint, if they have any other talents, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and really anything else that matters to us. Um, so with that, we're going to start with Warren. I like Sam Rockwell a lot. Um, I think out of all of the people that we've done, he'd probably be the one that I'd like to just like hang out with the most. He seems like the most down-to-earth guy who, you know, if you saw walking along the street in New York, you'd probably second-guess it. But uh, the guy kicks ass on screen. Uh, he's funny. He's shown a shitload of range um, doing screen. I like that he doesn't do TV much, um, and also you know stuff on uh, on the stage. You know, doesn't really get into his personal life much. I like that. I think what I like most about him is he's he's in movies that I just I I, I enjoy. Yeah. And you know, like Marty pointed out earlier, he's not necessarily the focal point in them. And like in Moon, where he is one hundred percent the movie. Yeah, the movie itself is just it's 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 a good movie, but it's not great. Um, so he's he's really a team player. I like him in in those roles. And my wife pointed out to me that uh, whenever I pick, you know, how I, I rate an actor, I don't necessarily like the best actors um, because obviously my taste <laughs> in movies absolutely blows but it's more of like I they're in movies that I really like and therefore they're entertaining to me and so I kind of took that to heart a little bit and tried to like think about my score a little bit more than just blurting out uh, a number but I'm gonna I'm gonna give them an 80 that's huge on the Warren scale it is big love it it's 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 in the it's in the top top three I believe I think he's tied with Mahershala for me I think Mahershala is a better actor overall um, but he's in less things and I think Rockwell's got a little bit more stuff um, on his uh, resume and uh, Moonlight just wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's waiting like a fucking dog, ready to pounce. Uh, just, I, had, I had I had to bait you, but uh, yeah, an eighty for me on Sam Rockwell. Love it. Case of all the people we've watched, he's easily my favorite. You know, he's original. One of the things I think he does really good is, in a positive way, he's very effective at keeping the audience off balance and not really sure how his character is going to is going to handle situations and i really find him very entertaining and and i agree with warren again that he he's his movies i just enjoy uh i found a great article by an author named will jones from the website joe which apparently is a huge uh website in ireland 
And this summed it up for me. He said, I kind of think Rockwall has suffered from something Oldman did for a long time, being so good at disappearing into a role that people don't recognize them, which actually ends up hurting their career. And I really feel that same way. And that's really all I've got to say. So I'm going to give him an 86. Beautiful. Rigby. I agree with what you guys said. Um, Obviously, he's got a pretty long career. The one thing that I think is stopping me from giving him my highest score is he hasn't had that leading man role yet. That's really stood out. Obviously, he's been nominated for two Best Supporting Actor nominations and won one, even if Vice was not really a one that we agree that he probably should have been nominated for. Um, But ever since The Green Mile or Max Stickman, probably like late 90s, early 2000s, every time I watch a movie that Sam Rockwell's in, I'm like, all right, I can... I'm going to end up enjoying this because I like him and I like his presence and what he brings to a role. I agree that, you know, he's kind of a mysterious guy, which kind of in today's Hollywood, I feel like that adds some points to me because so many of these actors are obnoxious and I like to see that somebody can still kind of stay under the radar. So I appreciate that. But again, the leading man, the fact that he hasn't taken that next step and I don't think he, I definitely think he has a potential. I just don't think he's been offered it yet. I'd like to see him sort of become the, non-creepy like Johnny Depp of today's day and age. (laughs) He can be the leading man. He can be a creep in a role, but he also has somewhat of a controlled personal life where he doesn't have to worry about, you know, being a scandal basically. So all that said, I'm going to give him an 81. Okay. Marty, what do you got? I mean, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. Um, He's always good in a film, even if the film isn't good. Mm Mm-hmm. But I do think that he does have a lot of duds. I mean, I think that comes with just being in over 100 films that, you know, statistically speaking, a lot of them are going to be bad. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but he's not one of those actors where if I know that he's in the film, I know it's going to be a good film, if that makes sense, even though I think he mm-hmm. is a great actor. He's very watchable, too. And, and I, I think it's interesting that he's not a movie star, that he's not a person in the kind of upper echelons, even though he's been around for so long, because a lot of movie stars, their one trait is that they're just very watchable. And I think Rockwell is really watchable. So it's, it's kind of confusing, but I was um, doing some research last night after I uh, watched confessions of a dangerous mind. And by research, I mean, I was reading the Wikipedia page (laughs) and I saw a quote from a review of the film by Owen Gleiberman. Yeah. And he says, that Sam Rockwell is handsome in a slightly goofy rabbit-toothed way, but he doesn't really have the look as aura of a movie star. He's more of a weirdly sincere space cadet, babbling to himself with puppyish befuddlement, breaking into funky soft dance moves that, that look as if he's been doing them in his bedroom since he was six, all of which makes him an inspired choice to play Chuck Barris. So that's a like a really weird backhanded compliment, <laughs> but I think it kind of like summarizes... <laughs> who he is like he's he's a very unique presence and i think that because of that even though he's not kind of a a gold star or a uh you know um seal of approval for a movie i still really enjoy seeing him in a film so i'm going to give him an 80 james it's interesting that we're all pretty much like peppering around the same numbers um usually there's some sort of disagreement but it seems like we all have kind of seen what he can do and are impressed by it and I think he's one of those actors that for a long time everyone said was criminally underrated. 
And then he gets an Academy Award for a role. People are like, hey, uh, he shouldn't have got that. I was like, well, you can't say someone's <laughs> underrated for 20 years and then they win an Academy Award and you think it's an overrated win. I think the only thing that is holding him back is that, you know, he's not a leading man that much. And it seems like that's by choice. And other than that, I'm right with you guys. Um, there's a quote that he actually said that I found where, he, in 1998, said he sees himself as a character actor. I'd like to be a star in the same way that Gary Oldman and John Malkovich are famous, who get to do character pieces and don't have to act like movie stars. And it seems like he's kind of yeah. spoken that into existence where yeah. you don't expect him to be there with the Cloonies and the DiCaprios, but you expect him to be a good actor who makes good movies, who does you know a good side role that can steal a scene. All that said i am right with a bunch of you on my score and i'm giving 81 as well all right and i'll round this out much like emma thompson for me most of the characters i've seen are usually memorable a few of you guys said like even if the movie's not great i still remember his character and he usually stands out in some way so i give good value to that he's been in five films that are nominated for best picture so he picks good projects when he gets into that sphere um but i also love that he supports independent film as much as he does in terms of personal life stuff a few notes i'll make I enjoy that he's not married, doesn't really have any interest in getting married, doesn't want kids. He's comfortable having a dog and living that lifestyle with Leslie Bibb in New York. And I think that's pretty rare in, in the world of Hollywood to the point where he gets harassed about it in interviews constantly. And I think he's probably tired of it at this point. But I also am going to take up off a few points because he talks about how he actively avoids politics. And in today's world, like actively avoiding those things and not engaging in discourse and things like that is not something that I, I, I mean, I guess I could admire your ability to do that, but I'm not going to reward him for doing that. I'm going to take off a couple points for that. That's fair. So with all that said, in a world of Rockwell's lovable outsider characters, I'm actually going to give him my second highest score and I'm going to give him an 85. Warren, what does that bring us from an average? That puts Sam Rockwell at third. An 82.17 nice. behind Brian Cranston and ahead of Mahershala. Dude, that is beyond fair, if you ask me. <laughs> He's actually tied with Mahershala at 82.17. That is incredibly specific. What's our top five right now, Warren? Emma Thompson, Cranston, Mahershala, slash uh, Rockwell, and Allison Janney. Shit, that's a good five. That's a good top five. Right behind that is Lithgow, Chastain, Rene Russo, Ken Watanabe. Wow. It's wise to look back at our scores and realize how wrong you guys are with some of yours. <laughs> 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 like the fact that Chris O'Dowd's on the top five, I completely agree, dude. <laughs> it's just brutal. 27 episodes later. <laughs> All right. Uh, Warren, what is coming down the pipe from him? I took a look at his stuff, and I'm pretty excited about a couple of these things. Um, a couple of them are voices, and they're uh, voices of, like, one's called The Adventures of Drunky. Drunky is a barfly who finds himself in the middle of a cosmic bet between God and the devil over the fate of the Earth. So Ooh. it's a cool animation there. And then the next one that's a voice one's called The Bad Guys. It's a DreamWorks animation. And it's Mr. Wolf, Mr. Snake, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Shark, and Miss Tarantula hatch a plot to pull the ultimate heist. So a bit of a uh, Reservoir Dogs, but with animals. Because <laughs> they're, all in, they're all in black and white suits on the cover of the movie. 
That'll be interesting. Uh, he's got a couple other ones that are untitled projects right now. Uh, Merle Haggard uh, biopic coming out mm. that's in pre-production. So we'll see how long those, uh, until those actually come out. But he's got five things on the docket. So more things coming. Yeah, he's got a lot of stuff coming out. All right, so we're putting five, you know, how we normally do. We put five actors on the wheel. We spin that sucker and we see what happens. And in this case, the five actors we're tossing onto that wheel are Woody Harrelson, who we've mentioned numerous times today, Cameron Diaz, Daniel Brühl, Maya Rudolph, and Robin Tunney. So we've mentioned three of those five on the mm-hmm. podcast at some point in time. Who do we like? Anybody but Robin Tunney. I mean, it's got to be Woody, right? Woody for sure. I mean, he's the namesake of the podcast. I'll finally what? watch that movie you guys keep talking about. Yeah, what is the Munson's? <laughs> it's a great question. What's Robin Tunney <laughs> been in besides like Encino Man? Uh, she was in one of your favorites, Vertical Limit. Oh, yeah. Duh. Vertical Limit. Uh, the Craft. Empire Records. I've literally never heard of this person. If you saw her, you'd be like, oh, that's the girl from 1994. <laughs> and that's all you would know. Not the movie, the year. That's Very topical for a podcast. Yeah. Vertical right. Limit was from 2000, you son of a bitch. I mean, Cameron Diaz would be awesome. She hasn't been in anything in a while, though. Didn't she, like, retire, basically? I wouldn't mind shattering some mystique on Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Daniel Brule is amazing. That'd be interesting. If we do Brule, uh, hopefully Rigby will have to watch some Marvel. He's good, He's and he's coming back, isn't he? Yes, he, yep, he'll be in the, uh, the series great. here in a couple Glorious months. Bastards. Yep. Yeah, I love oh, Rush. He's so good in Rush. Nets. He's one of those oh, nice Rush is people. Amazing. Rush is a fantastic movie, so yeah, he's be very happy to good. watch that. What, Nikki, Nikki Lauda? Yeah, Nikki Lauda. Movie. He's in Colonia. He's in James Hunt. He's in some period pieces too, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's in The Zookeeper's Wife. And he's in The Cloverfield Paradox. And then if we if we do Maya, we'll talk about a bunch of comedies, SNL, stuff like that. And uh, no. Bridesmaids. You know, All we'll do like is we'll basically rehash every line from a Gruber. Oh, that's true. That'll be an awful we'll, we'll episode. Cover the Regardless, uh, you know how we do this. The wheel decides, and we'll adapt. Wheel decides. Uh, Monty, it's been good. It's been a long one, but it's been a good one, man. We appreciate you being here. Any plugs for the podcast you want to give to the audience or any wise words? Thank you so much for having me, guys. This was hilarious. This was fun. Uh, would love to come back again and just no. tell you to watch G-Force again and <laughs> find a way to, to bring it back up. But um, You're going to pick a, an actor who's also in G-Force? Is that there's a lot of them, so yeah. That's true. You can follow Movie Marathoners on Twitter at Movie Marapod, Movie M-A-R-A pod. And um, yeah, we've got a lot of stuff coming out. We're going to do a lot of Sundance coverage. And before that, we'll, I'll be doing my you know top 10 of 2020 and top five performers of 2020 as well. So it's a lot of fun stuff coming out. And we just did an, a review on Soul. And before that, a lukewarm review of Wonder Woman 1984. Plenty of stuff to check out. But thank you guys so much for having me. This was awesome. Thank you, man. It was great. You, Absolutely, man. man. Yeah, man. Appreciate you being on. Pleasure. I'll let you know on Twitter how I, th- uh, how I feel at G-Force. Yes, please do. <laughs> At me. Uh, you'll know, you'll be my know new brand. Me. You'll know it's me because I'll be the only person on Twitter talking about G-Force. <laughs> yeah, I can just check the hashtag G-Force Twitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Warren. Did Warren say anything yet? <laughs> All these people are going to be interested about Rockwell movies and roles after we release this. And the only thing we're going to be tweeting about is fucking G-Force. <laughs> people are like, seriously, guys? How it should be. It is like Citizen Kane for guinea pigs. It is unbelievable. (laughs)
it's a spy thriller, you know. It's, it's, By definition, it, that is probably true. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> well, our next podcast hits on January 28th. Our featured guest, Munson, will be Lauren Hopkins, fan of the podcast. She's got some really cool stories about movies that she's been an extra in. I think most recently, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood in 2019. And so she'll bring in a cool perspective, as we normally do with our guest Munson's. But you can always catch us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Munson's? Shut your little fucking mouth, okay? You want me to cut you? Because I'll cut your fucking throat. This is show business. No one gives a shit how you feel. This is my last shot, and I won't let you fucking up. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?